2: Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You're listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
3: Bro, we're just like, just keep getting better and better shows with this, man. Better guests. Better guests, no big deal.
2: I know, I know. So, uh, we have two uh, two guests, two uh, wonderful people, uh, Sean and Shopei Ediemi welcome guys yo yo um i would have brought shio on um but well, me <laughs> and him are beefing <laughs> no really no, no i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding okay actually you know what uh shio is my favorite eddie brother actually
1: he's my <laughs> he's favorite, favorite one you knew first right
0: <laughs> i like him better than i like myself so
2: oh man but 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 i'll just say this smooth brothers I, I'll, I'll just say this so you know Chope and and you have sean and then you have uh shio you know these guys have blessed my life in different ways and i met them in different stages so it's it's really um i just i, I just want to say i love you guys
0: thank you, you bro, too, bro. yeah too, man, man
2: I, I love you guys and, and you guys have done a lot for me in my life in all areas of my life so so thank you guys uh shout out to Debo. shout out the pops <laughs> like you know you know what's crazy I'm I, sorry man I'm going on a rant already but um, it's amazing how your father and your mom of course uh-huh. has three boys and you guys are like awesome people and you guys are smart individuals and, and you know and, and sometimes parents can't even get it right once <laughs> you know what I mean but they got it right three times good looking family men talented dudes oh man yo Debo man you firing off baby
1: it took some sacrifice, bro. <laughs> <laughs> a Real sacrifice.
2: Well, right well either way, uh, welcome to the show. Um, for those who who don't know you guys, um, Chopin Sean, uh, give a background on who you guys are. You can start with uh, Sean. You start first.
1: Uh, my name is Sean Diemi. I have been on this show probably two years ago now. Um, yeah, no, I, crazy. Uh, what was the episode we did? Um, uh, generational wealth. Generational wealth. On the sh- yes, the show I'm a- page for sure. That's right. I'm a certified financial planner, run my own business, and um, so yes, and we all came to Canada in 2000. That's what, 20 years? Oh, wait, 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 Sean, you also forgot to mention your podcast. Oh, yes, and I have a podcast, the Dollar Savvy Podcast, and we've been off air for about, about a year now, but there's a whole bunch of episodes you can go listen to. A few new episodes are coming out soon, so... Yeah, it's talking. It's just I talk about money. I talk about integrating your faith with your with with how you manage your money and just having a heavenly and a scriptural mindset when it comes to money. And so, yeah, you can find it at DollarSavvy.ca.
0: Cool. And uh, Shope? Yes, um, I have the most frivolous of careers among my siblings. (laughs) (laughs) The least consequential. So uh, I'm a recording artist, uh, an Afrofusion recording artist. Um, so people who don't know what Afrofusion is, it blends Nigerian Afrobeat with hip-hop and R&B. That's kind of like my cultural and musical identity. So there's the Nigerian side, the Naija side, as an immigrant. Um, and then there's the hip-hop and R&B side growing up in Toronto. So the music kind of takes on this unique flavor where you have a, a meshing of these two worlds. Um, so that's kind of like, if I were to think of my operational energy goes a lot into the business of the music you get what i'm saying so i'm the recording artist but um contrary to popular belief music is more than just having a good time there's a lot of the business behind it right so it's like 90 percent business 10 percent actual music and so i'm kind of like just building out that business and what that looks like um that's that, yeah that would be the majority of my operational energy and then i dabble in kind of like other businesses and other investments in other industries because you got to diversify. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to Sean carter my way to the top. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. basically, that's kind of what it is, man, recording artist, But I really just love the the thrill of the chase and business in general. So if you've got a good deal, send it to me and I'll see if I can do something with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, that's what's mm-hmm. up.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, look. L- and you got a g- pretty good bro to, to give you some extra advice when you're making those decisions, mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. For sure. Uh, well, yeah. my dad sure. taught us well. Yes, he, yes. He taught us well how to be entrepreneurs and, you know, just be go-getters, don't settle for just a job. Your job is great, but can you can you build on that? He left Nigeria. He, we were pretty, from a lifestyle perspective, we were pretty comfortable. And he gave that all up and came to Canada uh, to start all over. So it's not enough to just settle for... The nine of five, at least for us, mm-hmm. I'm sh- myself, uh, my two brothers, we are really hungry entrepreneurs. My brother works. Um, that's not on here. Sh- Shia works, but he's also entrepreneur minded. So I think but that's But he's an engineer too,
0: so. Well, that's <laughs> so, right. That's yeah. Right. He's an engineer. So he works, but he works a high level job. And um, I, yeah, we don't want to be classist here or anything for sure. A job is a job and there's honor in everything but if you can push mm-hmm. yourself and challenge yourself then go and excel.
2: So w- what was the grounds for, you know, your dad gathering you guys up from a comfortable life in Nigeria to come here?
1: Well, it's it, when I look at it, he even though we were comfortable, I think he looked at the trajectory of the economy, he looked at the trajectory of the educational system, he looked at the political climate and Said, uh, "Is this where I want to my kids to grow up?" Um, initially, it was actually my mom's idea because my my dad wasn't. Uh, yeah, he thought it'll be nice to go abroad, but he was comfortable. My mom felt that uh, leaving Nigeria would give us better opportunities, we would just expand our horizons. So she pushed for it, and he's like, "Okay, let's do it." And so it's just he saw all the things that we are seeing now. And when I look back and it's, it, it's, it's been 20 years and I'm like, I'm so glad that, um, that he gave up everything and came here. Wow. That that's amazing because
2: yeah, you, you, yeah. Mom, mom had the foresight to see, um, what was going on. Wow. Um, okay, well let's just jump into it in regards
1: to NSARS So, uh, what is NSARS? <laughs> So NSARs is, is a combination of a multiple fronts. There is a frustrations with Niger, Nigerians were frustrated. Okay. Um, it first started with, you know, there's a lot of pr- police brutality. There's a lot of um, cops can just um, can just stop you, frisk you, um, take your stuff. And sometimes it's resulted in lost lives. And so it kind of started on that front with people saying enough is enough. We're tired of just being assaulted and we have no rights. And then that kind of blew up into other parts and other areas of the society, all the frustrations we Nigerians are, are facing from the corruption of our leaders to the economy and to the joblessness and to poverty and to um, just so many injustices and things going on and people are just fed up and say, we want an answer, we demand, accountability to our leaders and to those who we've um either elected in one way or another way they finesse their ways through corruption to get to the top uh it's it's an outcry of nigerians to that this this has got to stop
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: what's crazy is that
2: like when i first saw it trending on twitter and you know i was like oh snap you know sars is back And and, (laughs) (laughs) that's what what I really thought. I was just like, "Yo, like, first we got Corona, now we got Yo SARS
0: is back." Like, funny part it
3: is, Corona is related to SARS. Oh, it is?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a different strain of it. (laughs) Same type
0: of virus. Oh,
2: really? Okay. Well, yeah. Well, that's essentially what I what I thought. Um, But of course, you know, once once you know, well, I
0: mean, it'd be par for the course. Twenty twenty has been a crazy year. So yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you know,
2: but of course, you know, you guys already know when you when you hit that hashtag, it sends you down this trail. Yeah, mm-hmm. and dog, mm-hmm. yo. Some of the images I saw, I'm trying to unsee, and just um, the brutality and the seriousness of of, of the situation. W- w- what's your take on it, Chopin? Um, I mean, because you because uh, you, you you've been tweeting a bit about it.
1: Yeah, actually, before yeah. Before, before before Chopin goes into it, I think we mm-hmm. should probably define for those who don't know what the acronym SARS actually means.
2: Oh yeah, yes, please. Do. Right,
1: it's Special Anti-Robbery Squad. And okay, that really, sounds good. Yeah, special anti robbery squad. And so, really, there was there, there was um, way back in in the nineties, there was a, a unit that was formed to help um, because robbery was a big thing in Nigeria. I remember um, even back home, the way we live, we have like huge houses with huge fences and barbed wires all across it. And
0: I remember um, Dad's car was stolen. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if you remember that situation, but he was on his way back from work. The gate was open. And all I know is um I heard gunshots and they just scared me somewhere into the living room. And apparently they followed him as he was driving in and they took the car. Thankfully he That's was right. okay. But That's yeah, right. his car got stolen as he was we driving found, into the crib.
1: Wow. We actually found the bullets the following morning, uh, right in front of the house. And I just, I I look back now and I just thank God for his mercies for saving him that day. Because and I remember my dad telling the story was, so as he was driving, he, I mean, back home, most people are shuffered, at least depending on, on how wealthy you are. So as as the driver drove in, I think he got down right before the driver drove into the house. And then he saw this guy following him. As the, as the gate man, that's what we call it, it's, it's who opens and closes the gate, really. That's all that is. And he saw a guy wanting to follow him into the house. And so it's almost like my dad had a sixth sense that this, I don't know this man, there's something wrong. And he already thought, I have my kids in the house. I have my kids in the house I don't want this guy to follow me into the house because this mm-hmm. robbery is a thing. We've heard of it. People get ambushed. They force They force their way into people's homes and they rob the family. And sometimes people lose their lives in that. So he had this sixth sense that this something doesn't feel right. And so as the gate was closing, he decided instead of going inside the house, he came outside the house instead of walking away. And I don't remember the full story, but he started shouting thieves or something, something, something. And unfortunately, that day, there was no light, the, meaning like the there electricity was, no power. was out. Yeah, there was no power. Electricity was out. And so I think he shouted thief, thief or something. I started running away. And so that forced the thieves to shoot. I think they either, I don't know if they shot at him or they shot in the air. I have no idea what happened. But because he raised that alarm, I don't think they were expecting that. And so I think what they ended up doing is just taking the car and it just drove out and it left. So fortunately, he was saved. And also, fortunately, they didn't come into the house because if he had come into the house, there's a chance they would have not just robbed them at gunpoint, but they would, he would he would have had to lead them into the house where we were. And so, um, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy story. And I just honestly look back. I just thank God for that.
0: Yeah. So the special anti-robbery squad was developed (laughs) was developed to combat these kind of scenarios where armed robbery is very common back home. Unfortunately, what's happened over time is that uh, those tasked to serve and protect have been the ones have become the ones um, doing the robbing. Right. So it's become a rogue police force that for the life of me I don't understand how they're still attached to the government because a lot of the individuals who are in this forces are actually ex-convicts who just go and join SARS which is really weird I actually don't, don't understand the politics of the the politics of how that works so it's just really unfortunate because Nigeria is a very difficult environment to thrive right and so i remember my dad saying to me once like if you treat people like animals long enough eventually they'll start acting like animals and so you have a scenario where it's so hard to scrape a living and this is not to justify the actions of SARS officers at all mm-hmm. far from it
3: mm-hmm.
0: but it does give you some context whereby these individuals are are through a combination of low pay um corruption from their higher ups do you get what I'm saying? And just a very difficult environment. They're trying to scrape a living for themselves. So you take that and you mix that in with nefarious, just kind of like sinful, aggressive bully tactics. And you throw a weapon and a badge and they eventually becomes a, become the ones doing the bullying. And so it's it's terrible because if you look good and you're young, um, you're a target, right? Because they're thinking, they're thinking, and I know this is how they think because I was watching an interview with a, with um. With a SARS official, actually one of the superiors, and he says, you look at a young person who is driving a nice car or has a nice phone, and anything to themselves, I've been working as an officer for how many years and I can't afford that phone? You must be doing something legal. And therefore... Um, that automatically makes any young person who has any kind of nice-looking thing, even if you're well put together, it makes them a suspect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they cannot rationalize in their mind how you're young and how you're able to acquire these things. Not to, so. They, there's that. Then there's also their own desire to kind of like just make a get whatever you can from make this a individual. Make a come up, right? And so they proceed to um, to target them and to and to essentially harass them, which is. Really sad.
1: It's so unfortunate because I can see how it would devolve to a situation like this because you have these police officers who, let's even say, there's a there's a budget from from upper above as to how they get paid, but before the money actually gets to them, all the different from from politics and robbery, like all the money gets siphoned by corrupt leaders, and so you have these police officers who are making to get paid some of them haven't gotten salaries for 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 six months for almost a year really yeah oh yeah there's rampant corruption absolutely yeah so before the before their salaries hit them superiors and different parts of the government all that money's gone so even though there's money allocated in the budget for some of these things the actual people on the road who are supposed to be doing these jobs are not getting paid so the only way they know how to earn a living is through bribery and so they stop you for whatever reason they feel like. If they look, if you look like somebody that has, that is, like my brother said, well put together, they figure that okay, not necessarily that you you, you came about your your wealth from. Target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just look at you and say this guy's gotta have money. So sometimes they can hold you at gunpoint, get you to transfer money to their account. Uh, sometimes they will lead you to the ATM to rob you of whatever money you have and if you don't cooperate they'll have a gun like lives have been taken as a result of that mm-hmm. and so and so like there's been so many so many so many stories of just people found on the side of the road uh people getting beat up by the cops by by all these people and so you see you see a scenario where they're trying to make a living and it's not that I'm justifying it but the climate the, the climate is such is so tense because everybody's hustling now add that to the fact that the employment rate is sky is sky high you have graduates from school you know most people especially my generation right we're told go to school get a job go be a doctor or just go to school and read and once you come out of school you get a job. And you have people who have degrees upon degrees upon degrees and they have no jobs and so what happens they take to the streets they take and they have no
0: jobs because the money that should be invested in economic development is siphoned into foreign bank accounts by government officials now this is this isn't even theory this is just this is factual it's known
3: Yo, and and we did an episode two, what, four or five episodes ago, where we were, I'm trying to find the title of it, uh, where we were talking about, you know, f- to some extent, we touched on foreign aid. Oh, and, Mali. We're talking about what yeah, was going well, on, Mali. Mali coup, the coup there, right? And and one of the things that we sort of brought up was, you know, so much of the the foreign aid funding goes to the politicians, to yeah. the political class, and they have like a disincentive, right? Because if they... Actually, you know, change the structure so that they don't need this money. Well, now they're not going to get this funding, and now they start to lose their influence and control and power. Right. And 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 so there's sort of a you know a dis a, a poor incentive structure because this money you know for Canada, oh, we look good, we're helping this country, but we don't even really follow up with the fact that the money doesn't
0: achieve the intended purpose. Right. 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 Unfortunately, such is the story for a lot of African nations, not the least of which is Nigeria. That's why if you if you go online and you look at, um, going back to Ansars, if you look at the demands, they have five demands. One of them is to increase police salary so that they are adequately compensated for protecting lives and the property of citizens. That's one of the demands in at least trying to alleviate the fact that part of this misbehavior is as a function of these people themselves not even being able to subsist. And then you throw in like, yeah, Liquor, cheap drugs, just like an aggressive climate where everyone is just trying to one up each other, um, and it's again, yeah, it's such an aggressive climate that you have to be aggressive, you have to be dominant, you have to be domineering in order for anyone to take you seriously. Right? Um, you have this situation. The other piece is this: a lot of these individuals in SARS are how do I say they're typically not young. Right. So they're not a depth on the changing economy of the world and how much more possible it is to make money from all over the world. Right. If you have an internet, and I'm not talking about scamming, I'm just talking about selling goods online, drop shipping, whatever. It's very easy if you have an internet connection to start an online business. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is something that a lot of the young people are hip to. So the individual, the young guy who has an iPhone 11 or who was driving a nice car who made his money legitimately because he's just taking advantage of the new world. The older stars officer, that's not a cat. He doesn't understand that because that's not the time he came. He's like, "What do you, what do you mean? Like, how are you young and how are you making more money than I am when I've been working in this position for this long?" Not realizing that in the new economy, you can make money online that's directly deposited into your bank account, and you're not depending on your higher ups who are taking eighty percent of your paycheck anyways. You get what I'm saying? So it's such a broken and such a toxic, toxic system that you end up with um, police officers becoming the robbers themselves. (laughs)
3: <laughs> what 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 I was reading a, an article from al al Jazeera and what what boggled my mind was the idea that they've essentially like so it was like based on protests in 2017 they were supposed to be you know shutting down this, you know, SARS officers. And then essentially the end of the year, it sort of came up again or or like by December they, they brought, they reorganized them. And then it sounds like there's sort of been like, oh, we're going to re, you know, reform them or we're going to rebrand them. And it just sort of seems like since like 2017 timeframe, there's sort of been this, okay, we're getting rid of it. No, we're not. Yes. No. Like, Uh I don't know. It just seems a bit of a disaster that uh, it's kind of along the lines of what you've been saying, where. To some extent, the corrupt
0: officials don't really want this to go away. They don't. And that's the lunacy of it all, which people are trying to understand, like, why? Like, I mean, this is the the conundrum of African nations. We're like, why? Like we it's it's hard to rationalize how a leader, a president in power, cannot desire the flourishing of your of your people. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. And it, I it's actually it's hard to conceive of where you know. This institution, this rogue police force, are a bane on your people's existence, but you do nothing about it, unless there's some sort of incentive to keep them in place, which is absolutely callous. Do you get what I'm saying? It's very hard to rationalize and understand why SARS has, quote unquote, been disbanded several times. Yet, <laughs> there, there, there they are still in the streets. It's We, we don't we, don't understand civilians just do not understand why or how this is happening which unfortunately is the nature of the political system we know there's a lot of outright corruption but a lot of it is also um buried on the layers of bullying threats and so many other broken systems
1: and and unfortunately most of our leaders when they get in there i I find that the mindset is okay i'm in here for the next four years i gotta clean out i gotta take as much money for Mm. my family and those who and whatever and so you have people who are there once they're in office then all they're doing is send the kids are going abroad they have uh, accounts in switzerland they have accounts all around the world Mm -hmm. they're moving money out of the world so they're using their position to It's almost like I'm here for four years or I'm here for three years or whatever your term is, and I got to get as much money as I can. And then that cycle just repeats itself. Nigeria is one of the richest nations in Africa. Like when I think about the amount of corruption and the amount of uh, resources we have that have been stolen, any foreign, any, any Western nation that has lost as much as Nigeria has lost. Would have the economy will have collapsed by now. Mm-hmm. One of one of the things we have going in our favor, and it, it boggles my mind that we cannot use our population to our advantage. I look at a place like China, and one of the things that makes China really successful is that they found a way to monetize their population. Nigerian population is insane, but unfortunately, we don't have the leaders who have. Our interests at heart are the leaders are there to it's corruption is the is the is the day.
0: And it's been like that since the inception of Nigeria, right? Because I'm reading a book. I, I'm trying to understand, like, how, why? I don't get it. Like, what is it about? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you know, when you just you tilt your head sideways and you scratch your head because it defies even asking why anymore. You're like, how? I don't get it. And unfortunately that's just been the story of Nigeria, right? Since its inception where it's um political self-interest and looking out for for number 1 and that's sort of like metastasized over the years, which is really sad. So it's 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 baked, it's ingrained into the very psyche of the nation. And the country was kind of was birthed into that and it's just continued
1: So I'll give you an example. I have a family friend who developed a technology that power that um that provides power and he took this technology back home to maybe a small city or small village and he's like okay um i want to install this technology here because i i mean i i want to give back to my my homeland he's here in canada he lives here in canada he has no business back home right so he goes back and says i want i want this i want to use this to provide power to this neighborhood or to this small town. And the leaders in the town asked him, how much are you going to pay us to do that? They were bribing him. And he's like, wait a minute. I am not the one that's benefiting from, if you have lights, this, this gives this, this helps your lifestyle. This helps you. Um, like when I think of the business, the amount of money businesses pay just to provide lights, to be able to um, to be able to 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 run their business, and so he's saying, I am going to provide this technology, to provide this light source, this power source, and the leader said, No, you have to pay us to do that. How much are you willing to pay us? And it's like I had, I, I don't have any I don't have any stake in this. I'm doing this out of the goodness of my heart, <laughs> and it's one of those things that boggles your mind, but. Those leaders there are thinking, okay, if this guy provides light, most of these leaders probably have businesses, businesses that provide generators, businesses that provide um fuel, uh, which we call gasoline or black markets. They're thinking, oh, I- I'm just I'm just trying to get in their minds for a second as to think, okay. So they're thinking if this guy is providing power source to this village, there goes our other businesses.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and I would even I would even say it's also the 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 power right like they're protecting their 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 ability to extort
1: that's correct he gave up he's like you know what forget it and he just came back here yeah
0: i love nigeria i really do but i'm becoming more and more convinced It's going to sound really weird that i don't know if i should say this publicly i've never said this publicly <laughs> that that a large number of people in power are going to need to die <laughs> In order for, in order for things to change, and I'm not, I'm not advocating like assassination or anything. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm just
3: saying. Or regime change wars from the Americans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are too many people invested in keeping, keeping things the way that they are. That even well-intentioned individuals will be killed, and that's not an exaggeration. They will be killed. Another friend of mine mentioned that he grew up, and I remember seeing this massive machine that he never understood what it was his whole childhood. He's like the thing was just in his house and he never knew what it was. He grows up later and he comes to find out that his uncle had, had fought, fought to create and bring this machine that I think did um, cardiac surgery, like heart transplant, yeah, heart transplant surgeries. Okay. Mm -hmm. to nigeria and wanted to essentially develop clinics and hospitals to do so but he was he was prevented from doing so to the point that i believe his wife there was an assassination attempt on her like straight up wow and so this million dollar piece of equipment just sat idle in his house for decades so it's not an exaggeration to say that people who actually desire to see the country grow, to see the people live better lives, they put themselves at grave risk. That There are people who will actually try to kill you if you want to change them, take them out of power, or just spread some of the wealth to the people. And so I love Nigeria, but I don't know how long this is tenable before, God forbid, it becomes an entire failed state. I hope it doesn't, Uh, but a number of people need to be forcibly taken out of office mm-hmm.
1: when i went back home a lot of my classmates or some of them that i knew had began to also get involved in a lot of corrupt dealings and so oh wow uh, yeah and in my mind i'm like we keep saying the next generation but the next generation now is also now corrupt that by the time they become the leaders we perpetuate the same thing over and over again
3: well, it's it sounds like it's one of the only like you know there's there's so much corruption that like it's sort of a natural progression for so many people,
1: and so the, the new generation has to there has to be a paradigm shift, there has to be a mindset shift that uh, we want to get into office, but in getting into office, we have to be willing to root out corruption, and this is one of the saddest things when when the current presidents. Uh, before his his term he was okay so he's he's in his second term before he became president he was um, head of state way back when Nigeria was under military rule right now one of the hallmarks of his his um, tenor was that he was an anti-corruption guy he was one of those guys. He had different things he put in the uh, different policies that he helped root out corruption. And so now when Nigeria, when the, the democracy came back to Nigeria and he ran what maybe like, what, six, seven years ago now, the idea was that, okay, we're hoping that now that he's going to be a democratic elected president, the same the same um, anti-corruption leader that we thought he was would be who we're getting and unfortunately his his presidency has been a disaster matter of fact he's been it's almost like he's not he's he's almost like a figurehead Hmm. he's not getting anything done and it's so sad and it's so unfortunate that in the last six seven years of his of his of his presidency i feel like corruption has has worsen and I think that's where Nigerians are now getting to the point that enough is enough um, we want change and so do you have the the five demands there that the NSARS campaign uh, what they were what they were asking for
0: number one is um, immediate release of all arrested protesters so the arrested protesters Uh, Number two, justice for all deceased victims of police brutality and appropriate compensation for their families. Um, Number three, setting up an independent body to oversee the investigation and prosecution of all reports of police misconduct. Number four, in line with the new police Mm. act, psychological Mm -hmm. evaluation and retraining. Mm This is to be confirmed by an independent body of all disbanded SARS officers before they can be redeployed. And number five, increase police salary so that they are adequately compensated for protecting lives and property of citizens. Living in Nigeria is a traumatic experience. And I'm very, very convinced that all Nigerians are suffering from from some degree of PTSD. And I don't mean that as an exaggeration. I don't. It's truly a very... Um, difficult place to live, so um, you have m- broken and twisted minds. Unfortunately, replicating the system, and that's and shown to your point. Like yes, the new generation has to make the change, but this is what I mean when I say, unfortunately, unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world, that you will be hard pressed to find a revolution that hasn't come at the expense of human lives. Yeah, I I just I just don't I just don't know that it's possible. It's very sad. And it's kind of convenient to say that because I'm a Nigerian who's living in the Western world. So there's a good chance that I may not have to sacrifice my blood. you know what I'm saying? But for the new generation to make a change, there has to be space made for them to make a change. Right. So a well-intentioned individual is going to go there and realize that, shoot, like the, the chips are stacked against me. You get what I'm saying. So it's almost as though multiple things need to happen at the same time, multiple posi- and this is why make this is what makes it so difficult, so difficult. Education, um, infrastructure, healthcare, um, policing. It's like major things need to happen at the mm-hmm. same time. So who are the top five people in these five positions? They all need to go, mm-hmm. and they all need to be replaced by new, fresh thinking, um, selfless leaders. Do you get what I'm saying? Because if, if if one position is replaced, the other four are just going to stifle that new guy. So, like, is there is there actually, will any change be created? Do you get what I'm saying? That's what makes it particularly challenging because mm-hmm. there's so many cogs in the wheel that are broken that need to be fixed. But there's so many figureheads. There are so many beneficiaries of the current broken system that you are literally fighting, fighting a mountain to bring about any kind of change
1: one of the one of the positive side benefits and I don't know whether to call this positive but you get my train of thoughts in a second is Nigerians are one of the smartest people in the world like one of the things I find is those that immigrated from Nigeria first generation second generation if you look into every field you will find Nigerians in there and I a byproduct of that is when you grow up in an environment where you have to hustle like crazy just to survive when you make it out of there that hustling is a part of you and so you 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 make it to the western world where um you have a higher chance of success you have lights you have food you have um institutions and you have um avenues to better yourself then you are you're more likely to succeed and I mean when I mean I even think back as when we came back when we came to Canada in in 2000 when I look at the honor roll when I look at the, the top list of the of the students there they're Nigerians and why is that well back home when you're studying for exams you're studying under a candle you're studying under a lantern you, no, 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 for real, you are up at night, you're, you're hot, there's mosquitoes, you're, you're, you're studying under hard conditions. I then mean, you come to Canada where there's light, there's food in the fridge, you don't have to worry about getting shot, you don't have to worry about the crazy, we call it go slow, traffic jam, back home, <laughs> you're more likely to succeed. And, and and that's why I, I know Nigerians. We have it in us. We're some of the smartest people. If those smart people, and if those smart people are able to, to get into positions of power, I know there is hope.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There is hope. We have, uh, like, mm-hmm. we, we have mm-hmm. talent. So that's not even the question of of do we have the c- capacity? We have the capacity to. It's just there needs to be change, and the right leaders need to begin to take um their place really
2: yeah uh, honestly this this sounds like a daunting task and in, in the sense like uh when Chopin was reading off um the requests
0: demands um, for change
2: the Not first requests. the demands <laughs> the demands for change yes yeah, yeah i know <laughs> demands for uh, change the first one was to release um all those who were um, being held captive, and and I was reading about that and hearing stories about, yeah, like people being kidnapped and being tortured and so forth, and and I can't imagine. And I'm sitting here, and some, you know, I always try to put myself yeah. in other people's shoes. So what if I'm a Nigerian and I live in Nigeria and you know i have a passion in me to see righteousness done but i'm like yo but i don't yo i don't Uh want to get kidnapped i I don't want to be tortured i don't my mom not to see me again because you know i'm going to open my big mouth and 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 speak you know truth to power you know have a
0: podcast
2: yeah yeah yeah, whatever whatever write a song whatever the case is like it like i'm sitting here and i'm shaking in my boots which is why i
0: applaud the people back home and I, i yeah yeah, most death, i try to most be careful death. with how i speak because i understand that i have the liberty of not living they're not facing those repercussions but they don't you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i never mm-hmm. presume to mm-hmm. like i'll always take second second fiddle to somebody over there who won't who who who's who's fighting the same fight because as far as i'm concerned their voice is more powerful than mine
2: oh i didn't even ask you guys this but um do you guys have family
0: back back home oh, yes yeah we still have
1: family. My my sister and her family are back home. I have two um nieces and hope they're not hope they're not um, listening. Hope the fans ain't listening. <laughs> um hmm. But hmm. they 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 my my sister and her husband they run a business and I remember when I was talking to her about this, she's like, you know what? we are doing the best we can to support those who are protesting. So some of the things they would do is they would take food. They would take refreshments because people actually camped out. I don't know if you knew that, like the protesters, like they now imagine a situation where in different pockets of the city, you have thousands millions of people. Just, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to sit peacefully Mm. and Life is not going on as usual, so so think about think about think about let's 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 talk about Canada for a second, okay? So think about uh, let's even break it down to GTA. So let's talk about let's look think about millions of people around the four hundred one. Everybody just sitting there. How are you? You know, people are sitting there, people are camping there, people have their beds, people have, there's, there's, there's megaphones and microphones and people are eating and people are saying, we're not going anywhere. And you have that downtown Toronto, you have that at Yorkdale, you have that at Scarborough Town Centre, you have in different pockets of the city, so you can't really just say I'm going to work or I'm going to, life literally stops. Now imagine that on a bigger scale, it's in Kitchener, it's in Waterloo, it's in Calgary, it's in Alberta, it's in. It's all around the country. That's how how powerful that movement was. And my sister kept telling me, honestly, all we can just pray for us, pray for us because we're tired of it. We're working like crazy. We're doing the best we can. But it almost feels like we're not getting anywhere because all the resources and all that we have is being taken by corrupt officials.
0: And I've never seen, as pessimistic as it sounds, not pessimistic, rather as daunting as it sounds, it's kind of encouraging because I've never seen the populace this energized before. Corruption is Mm -hmm. not a new thing in Nigeria. Protest is not a new thing in Nigeria. Fela has been singing about this. Again, this has been since the inception of the country, right? since independence in 1960 it's just sort, of, sort of been like this however however i haven't seen the populace as united because one mm-hmm. of the things that makes nigeria nigeria and this is one of the roots of the corruption is there's a lot of in, um, inter-tribal warfare right where different tribes are looking out for their own self-interests and so i'm sorry sorry Chope, uh can you clarify like what do you mean by tribes so the land, the plot of land that we currently call Nigeria, like if you think of those borders, those artificial borders <laughs> that our 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 friends <laughs> kind of gave us, mm-hmm. that plot of <laughs> <laughs> our, our our non-melanated friends, friends gave okay. us. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, that plot of land before before the borders was home to about three hundred ethnic groups. 300. That's no exaggeration. Hmm. There are three main ones, Yoruba, Hebo, and Hausa, but then there are a bunch of other ones, Edo, um, Kari, just a bunch of other ethnic groups. So these Fulani. are different. Fulani, exactly. So these were different groups with different systems of government, with different belief systems, with different ideologies. Do you get what I'm saying?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. That's helpful. And so, I didn't
0: know that. Different ethnic, ethnic groups. And they had it wasn't perfect, but there's no part of the world that's perfect. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But there was, there was obviously like inter-tribal warfare, and one group would, 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 would raid another group and sell them as slaves to the Europeans. Like it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a working system whereby they traded with one another, they lived amongst one another, but they, weren't, they were their own groups, their own ethnicities. Our friends come and say, nope, you're all one country now, and we're going to be your overlords. At some point in time, um, Nigerians decide, the three main ethnic groups, which are Yoruba, the Hebos, the Hausas, there's a... So what happens is this, eventually, um, the British, they cede parents nation, an independent nation. And and this is the best scenario. Imagine when, show you have kids, right? Any any parent Mm -hmm. who has kids know that if the two kids are bickering and going at each other, once mom and dad are in the room, they're going to be quiet. But the second mom and dad leave, what happens? They go back to killing each other. Do you get what I'm saying? That's exactly (laughs) what happened in Nigeria. You know what I'm saying? Big brother was here to maintain some level of, hey, at the end of the day, we all... An enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? (laughs) But eventually what happens is the British leave. Nigeria gets their independence, And all of a sudden, everybody remembers it's like, oh, right, I hate you. You know what I'm saying? And so... What happens is that you now have intertribal warfare where now like, okay, they left, who's in power? You're in power? What about my people? And so that, that, hmm. that, that's how Nigeria was started, where you had coups and violence and war between the different ethnic groups, right? I, I say that to say this. Intertribal um, conflict is not new to Nigeria, which is what makes the Nsars movement so powerful. Because across religions, across tribes, across classes... This is probably the first time I've ever seen a mass number of Nigerians agreeing about one thing.
1: So organized in
0: such an organized fashion, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Ibo, yeah, Osai, yeah, Yorba. It didn't matter. You get what I'm saying? You're Christian, you're Muslim. It didn't matter. And so that's why it seems promising to me because I've never seen Nigerians this united and this energized Mm -hmm. about something. So I want to hope. I want to hope, and I want to believe that we're gonna take the. The, the the energy from that protest, uh, f- from the movement rather, and begin to put it into tangible efforts. And I'm hearing of some things that are currently happening, which are encouraging to see. And I just hope they're sustained and ultimately lead to the nature that we want to see.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, one of the things that, that sort of crosses my mind is sort of wondering, and this is sort of the part of the insurmountable task is it seems like the idea of violating another person's rights when it's done by a government official has no means of, of repercussions or consequences None, yeah. being enforced. None. And, and I just, you know, my thought is like, how do you, how do you change that? Like at your point about revolution and, and bloodshed to some extent seems like the only way um, because you essentially need to replace those who are unwilling to, you know, punish their, their fellow corrupt mm-hmm. official
0: because you just offer him a percentage of your cut and then he turns a blind eye because at the end of the day it's a it's a tough country so if i can be taken care of being taken care of at least then sure that's fine there's there's something it's it's a slang that we use we call it the national cake and <laughs> the national cake refers to kind of like the the country's allotment of money so you hear Nigerians just say i must get my piece of the national cake meaning that i have to <laughs> get my slice okay mm-hmm. i have to get my slice by any means necessary. So it's very hard to find those individuals who are willing to say on the, on the basis of principle, I'm going to stand against corruption. On the basis of principle, I'm not going to be bribed. I'm not going to be compromised. And if you, if you, if you take that stand, there are, there, there are some people no longer work, walk the earth because of those stances that they took. That's just the fact. They don't. They're not here mm-hmm. anymore. It's, it's, it seems insurmountable, Joel, to be honest.
1: For for things to change, there have to be more people willing to say, "I am not going to look the other way," and I am going. Mm-hmm. I I demand accountability, and I am not. You cannot pay me to look the other way, because that's that's really what happens a lot of times. There are people who are there. They're supposed to hold people accountable, but they are paid to look the other way because they themselves are not. They are not being compensated as as it is enough for what they do, and so if you're gonna pay me to look the other way, then sure I'll look the other way. So there have to be more people willing to say, "I'm not gonna look the other way," and the monies and the allotments and the all those things that are are are, um, are being budgeted for different things have to actually make it to where it's a way it's intended mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm.
3: It's uh, this sort of is is kind of random, but you're, you what you're saying reminds me of my dad's solution for the lying politicians that we have to deal with, and that is pay them all five million dollars, and when they lie, yeah. Count the well, you know, <laughs> you know,
2: Chopin, uh, You know, it makes me think of it's going to take a lot of people who have character, men and women, brave people who are willing to put their lives on the line, because that's the only way I can see change come about is that you know people are going to stand up for truth and they will have to pay
1: uh-huh.
2: for it with their lives oh. um and their bloodshed will you know kind of like the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church type mm-hmm. of saying where mm-hmm. where people are enough have you know have had enough because just like you have people who are protesting and doing a peaceful protest on the flip side i'm sure on the flip side there's some other people on the other side saying okay you know what you know forget all this peaceful nonsense uh-huh. We, we, we gonna grab some guns and we going We're gonna go. We're gonna raid the place and just take them out. We're not gonna sit here and wait for Jesus to come back type thing,
0: right? I <laughs> and then it creates the cycle,
2: and then it creates the cycle, right?
0: Exactly, and that's why it starts with leadership, right? Because I, I have a theory that in, other, in order for Nigeria to change, you need to change the politicians, the pastors, and the people. But I start with the politicians, right? And I say pastors because religion is a big is a big tool of control. Mm. I want to say bad religion is a big tool of control in Nigeria. But as far as I'm concerned, it starts with leadership because you're absolutely right. If you if you take somebody who is just looking to usurp power, not for the purpose of serving the people, but to but to raise themselves out of poverty, you're just going to create You're just going to create the same cycle, which is what Nigeria has been to date, right? So you literally need to change the leadership because the leadership then sets the tone for Nigeria. It then sets the tone for the people. People act aggressively in Nigeria because that is what it takes to get things done, because that is all they have ever known. Mm Do you get what I'm saying?
3: Mm -hmm.
0: But imagine a world where a guy knows that I've had to shout, kick, scream, punch in order to get something done. But instead, oh, there's a policy in place now where I have this and I don't have to do all those things. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take like uh, there's like there's a mass psychosis over the nation, which is a function of the the degeneration of the country. And I put that squarely at the feet of the politicians. They are the ones who have been responsible for stewarding the wealth of the country and they have. Siphoned it out of the country and created a conditions of abject poverty so people have no choice but to become aggressive. Do you get what I'm saying? And so, and I was talking to a friend of mine. He says this is where he feels as though the diaspora, the diaspora, is going to be an important part of this because we oh, have. Sorry, the,
2: who defined diaspora for those who don't sorry. know?
0: that diaspora are individuals who are not living in their native land so african nigerians in the diaspora are nigerians who are living in other parts of the world other than nigeria right so a friend of mine was positing that he feels as though those in the diaspora are are going to be crucial in some way shape or form whether they're the leaders or they just serve in in an advisory role like they're going to be crucial in the development of Nigeria, because what we have is the benefit of seeing a system that works. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like this system mm-hmm. isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No system is. But we, but we know what it's like to have law and order. We know what it's like to have a working democracy. We rule know what it's law. like. The, the rule of law. We know what it's like to have a, uh, how to grow an economy. Back home, unfortunately, there's there's a reason, there's a reason these politicians send their kids to international schools, because they know, right? They know the West has figured out something. They know that our our non-melanated friends figured out something. (laughs) Do you Mm get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And Uh, so- You know
1: what pains me? You know what pains me, I don't mean to cut you off. What pains me is that there are many Nigerians in diaspora who have gone back And I know somebody who went back a few years ago, I'm talking maybe 10 years ago, with the same intentions that, okay, how can I give back to my country? And he was killed. And for me, this is, I, I don't know if I've said this publicly, but one of the things that for the last maybe 10 years has been hurting me so much is as much as I love Canada. Sometimes I look and I say, I have so much gifts. I have so much talent. I really wish I could pour this into my own country, Mm
2: -hmm. but I
1: know that the conditions for me to do that are not there because I'm going to look and say, how do I feed my family? Can I protect my family? Can I give them a standard of life? That they are accustomed to can i give them good education can i i don't want them growing up in a corrupt system that corruption is the norm and so yes going back tiny back to what Shoko was saying was that yes nigerians in diaspora will play a big part in it um the flip side also is that conditions have to be the the leaders have to create conditions where Nigerians in diaspora are willing to come back home and say let's go rebuild our country.
0: Right. So and and, and to the point to that point this is where I'm <sighs> I, I mean, I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure I've I've set, I've landed on it right perfectly. But if you look at um if you, if you look at China as the model, right? 30, 30 40 years ago China was wasn't the superpower that it is right now. But, but how did they get to where they are right now? Uh, China has a, a strong sense of cultural identity. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so there's a desire to elevate the Chinese ideal, the Chinese individual. And so the government was able to unite and say, okay, let us create conditions that are conducive, some would argue, um, conducive to our students coming back home. Whether that's ensuring that they have jobs, right? Right and let us ensuring that they have a standard of life um (laughs) some would say they forced their students back home that's neither here nor there granted they have a different a different political system Mm -hmm. Um, so but but notwithstanding go learn what you can about the west bring it back here and then let's let's develop the problem with nigeria and i'm the more i think about it the more i'm settled on this is that nigeria is too tribalistic and this is where i think the diaspora comes in Westernized Nigerians Don't care for their tribes To a degree mm-hmm. We don't care that I'm Yoruba and you're Igbo That doesn't matter to me Not to the degree that it matters to those at home Do you get what I'm saying mm-hmm. Because again That is how Nigeria was born Listen This is what happened okay? Nigeria got an independence The north was the Hausa The, the west was Yoruba The east was Igbo Three main parties You know what I'm saying the, I think the NCNC, the AG, whatever, three different political groups ran an election. There was no clear majority. What happened was the North and the East, they unified and created a block so that they could get the power. And then what did they do? Um, they put themselves in positions of power. A few years later, what happened? There was a coup. And so the, think about it, the north and the, the north and the east united. And not too long after that, the East betrayed the North. And that's how the military government came into play. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, at the very inception of the country was tribal wars. And I'm not saying that's the only reason, but at the very beginning, there was there was a, a ravenous sense of self-interest. So that if we want to say... How can we elevate the Nigerian ideal? How can we elevate Nigerians? Well, first of all, we have to get over the fact that Yoruba, Anamibo, Anousa. How about we just talk about the fact that we're Nigerians? Do you get what I'm saying? And until we can mm-hmm. cross that Rubicon, cross that threshold, it's going to be very difficult to unite Nigerians around a sense of oneness, which is what is necessary to actually begin to think of elevating our people to do what China's done. You dig what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, the more I think about it, the more I feel as though this is at the root of it. Just we, we are a, unfortunately, a disparate group, which is really weird to consider that. It's really weird to think about that. Because no matter what part of the world you go to, they're going to be like tribes.
2: Yeah, most stuff.
1: Yeah. Most stuff. And going back to your, your thought, I think Nigerians in diaspora, I mean, when I see another Nigerian, I don't think, oh, this is, oh, I, I met this Yoruba guy. Oh, i met this Igbo guy no i met this nigerian. nigerian and there's a connection because you're nigerian and i think nigerians back home have to have to especially when it comes to power i mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. recognize that because the reality is though the regular people for the most part we live together in harmony like you have a yoruba guy a Hausa guy in the same compound the Igbo guy is also speaking Yoruba because he learns it. And w- one of the things I was talking to my friend the other day, one of the things I loved about Nigeria is we're so different in some of our cultural leanings, but we can really get together. But when it comes to power and position political, political power, all of a sudden there's a disconnect. <laughs> <clears throat> Mm-hmm. and it's so weird all of a sudden there's a disconnect where no we want a yoruba president we want a igbo president we want a hausa president but to the common folk like we get along very well like we we are amiable people and we have to get over that that idea that or oh, the next president has to be from this part of the country, or the next president has to be from this part of the country to placate this group or that group. We uh-huh, have to get uh-huh, beyond uh-huh,
0: that. Uh-huh. That's how a lot of leadership positions are decided, unfortunately. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's hard to unify. That's why the... the Nigerians in diaspora who don't care what tribe you're from. We just know, oh, you're Nigerian and it's tough to live in Nigeria and want to elevate Nigeria. Great. Those are the people you need to get into the positions of power because they don't care what tribe you're from, to just care about elevating the country. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that tribal um what do you call it? That um what's the word I'm looking for? That 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 tribal focus metastasized into individual focus. So you have two plays at work, right? I'm looking out for my tribe and I'm looking out for my family, and I'm looking out for me. Over the, mm-hmm. over the years, right? But if we can eliminate mm-hmm. that, then it's at least a little easier to begin to think of us as a collective unit.
3: Well, and and I I just think of like you know the idea of like a meritocracy, where like you know the fact that these things can just be taken away from you through exploitation sort of prevents people from focusing on, you know, let's say the entrepreneurial side of do you know serving my own needs by, uh-huh. by serving others through through entrepreneurship because you've always got to worry about the SARS guy coming along and exactly. taking everything you got
0: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> wow. exactly Wow, th- th- this was this was really good guys um thank you thank you Sean thank you Shope uh for your insights uh for the listeners who want to get in touch with you guys uh h- how can they get in touch with you guys
1: uh, for me, you can uh, find me at sacapital.ca. Uh, if you go on the website there, there is a button there. You can connect with me from there. Uh, you can also find my podcast at dollarsavvy.ca. And uh, you can connect with me from there as well on Facebook. It's SA Capital Advisors. On Twitter is uh, SA Capital Canada. On Instagram it's SA Capital Canada. And um, yeah, you can connect with me from there
0: www.allofchope.com. So A L L O F S H O P E Shopee.com. and I am all of Shopee on all social platforms. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, but yeah, all of Shopee is the hub, and it just sort of points you to all the other social platforms.
3: Cool. And I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes page. Yeah. Make it easy. And and
2: and definitely. Uh, thanks again, guys. Uh, this is definitely something that I'll definitely be praying more about um yeah as for me as a non-nigerian guy um my mom is Trinidadian, and my dad is jamaican um born here but you know as a black person that's not nigerian sometimes you feel a disconnect where you're kind of like you know well that's nigeria i'm not from nigeria so but on a humanitarian level um it definitely, um, you know, it hits the heart, and especially, and as a Christian, you know, bearing each other's burdens, as my Christian brothers in Christ, um, I I hear your, you know, your, you know, your guys' burden um, for your country, um, and um, I, I definitely want to uh, bear that burden as well in, in prayer and in
0: financial support wherever you can help. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I I I really believe the reason Nigeria is not a failed state yet is because number one, there's a resilience of the Nigerian spirit that's second to none. little biased but Mm -hmm. I see it time and again. Um I do believe we also have a vast, vast um resource pool. So it hasn't run out yet, thankfully. And um number three, there are just too many people who care. You know what I'm saying? Like Nigeria we're a population of hundred million people. Like we're not a small country. Right? We're Mm -hmm. not a small country by any stretch of the imagination. And so that's the reason we're still fighting. And I will say this as well. All things being equal, it kinda dawned on me the other day that Nigeria is not that old. Like, it's, 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 it's not that old. You know what I'm mm, saying? It's, yeah. it's 60 years old. You, like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. we would hope to have gotten our stuff together in 60 years, but it, it really dawned on me that I, when I was born in 89, okay? Nine, and this, this, this was kind of like a revelation for me. <laughs> the country was only 29 years old. Like, mm-hmm. my dad. My dad was born in, was born, my dad was born pre-independence. And he's literally watched the transfer from British rule and every step of the Nigerian political system, from the first prime minister, to the coup that resulted in the military government, to the coup that sustained the military government, to the civilian government, to the other... And it it, it, it dawned on, like, yo, Nigeria is actually quite young. So there's hope that, um, at least compared to other countries, if you look at how old other countries are, Canada is, what, over 100 years old, something like that, the US... uh, 150, uh, right? yeah, yeah, 150 Sorry 150 or more than 150 right, We're 60 years million. old You know what I'm saying So we're still kind of A young country I just hope we can get it together Sooner than later So that's mm-hmm. at least A little piece of encouragement For me Yeah
1: Yeah Any final words uh, Sean No Just We have really gifted people We have really 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 great people And um, I believe there's hope I really I really believe there's hope So If you're Nigerian And you're listening to that um, I think Have hope and if you're not Nigerian, pray for us. And yeah, just keep us in your prayers. That's that's the best thing you can do.
3: Good, good, good. Thanks again, guys. Thank you Thank for me having me. Thank you for having
0: us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: But you heard me? Does that make sense?